Welcome back to Until It's Fixed, where we take an inside look at pressing topics in the healthcare industry, new approaches to care, and how to make the health system work better for all of us. I'm Kelly Chamberlain. And I'm Stacey Dove. In this episode, we're going to take a look back on some of our favorite conversations from season two in 2021. Some of those topics are going to be around changing healthcare for the good, opportunities to make it more simple and effective for everyone, and one of our most important conversations around equitable care. Yeah, I completely agree, Stacey. And we're actually going to kick off with a theme that coincides really nicely with that equitable theme, which is meeting people where they're at. I personally love this topic and the changes that we're starting to see in this space around centering individuals just because I think the systems are so challenging to navigate for other people, for me. And if we can you know, meet people where they're at, I just think there's so much good that can come from that. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, we've learned a lot about what works for some people doesn't always work for others. So it has forced the issue around making sure that we truly are making it a personalized experience. So let's kick off with a conversation that we had with two psychiatrists that are amazing. And it's around supporting our kids' mental health. My first question for you is if you could do a compare and contrast to perhaps 2019 and where we're at today, some of the more positives that have been a result of the pandemic and some of the more, you know, challenging kind of current state as well. Dr. Potter, do you want to start? Sure. I appreciate that you're asking for both the positives and some of the challenges because it really does feel like, I mean, it's almost equal footing in some ways. Um, I think that what we were seeing even before the pandemic was an increase in the number of kids and families seeking help for mental health issues. And we were also seeing that when they were coming in, there was a lot more severity. They needed more help. But the thing that I think has been kind of most positive about the pandemic is that I think we've leapt forward in our acceptance of new and different ways to think about meeting the needs of the individuals and families who need help. Before the pandemic, we were already interested in how we can use technology to enhance the care that we gave, um, whether it was through telehealth or even introducing virtual reality into exposure treatment for anxiety disorders. And what we were finding was we had a lot of red tape. So we were just very slow moving in any kind of new adoption or innovation. It forced a relaxation of some of the kind of red tape and it allowed us to try new and different things. And what's come out of it is we have learned a ton. We've learned about some things that work really well, and we've learned about other places where things don't work well at all, and we need to keep innovating and getting creative. During the pandemic, what was really interesting was that there was no one-size-fits-all. So even if we look at telehealth, we had some kids and families who embraced it and loved it and did incredibly well with it, and in fact, I think would prefer to continue with that form of treatment. And then we've had others who were doing fine in treatment, and then when it went virtual, it completely derailed them and they struggled a whole lot more. And so again, I think there's no overarching statement of this is how it is. I think we've realized that kind of that precision medicine, personalized care, the ability to really think about individuals is more and more important. Right. And I think your comment, Dr. Benalim, if you talk a little bit more, I mean, just 
to add to what Dr. Potter just said, meeting someone where they are, that really gets to the heart of customization, personalization, because there is not a, you know, we love data, right? But ultimately, people are individuals and humans. Yes. When we think about behavioral health care, we really think about how we meet people where they are and what exactly does that mean? So that means sort of physical, right? Where are they physically? And like Dr. Potter said, telehealth and other sort of digital or virtual solutions have really helped us meet people wherever they may be, in their house, in their car, at a safe space, you know, talking to us through their phone or their computer. The other part is to think where are they on their journey, the continuum of their health, And part of that is thinking about their symptoms, like Dr. Potter said. Are we meeting someone when their symptoms are really high, where the symptoms have not received any treatment before? Their needs are very high and very complex. We know that those individuals tend to access care in very traditional ways, like going to the emergency room, going to a hospital. We've actually seen, you know, an exponential surge in youth going to ERs across the country for mental health concerns, especially young adolescent females. And then we see a lot of people going into hospitals. What we're trying to do is we're trying to think about that continuum of the journey and be creative in ways that we can connect to people sooner and help them understand that this is a dynamic process. So if we meet you at one of the highest sort of levels of need, of course you will get the supports and the recovery plan in place such that we can mitigate a relapse. But we also want to think about not just solving that imminent crisis. We really want to think about sort of health and how it encompasses our mental and emotional and psychological health And that means that we don't want people to just get out of the hospital and go home and and sort of figure it out on their own. We want to help them understand how to not only survive, but to really thrive, especially young people with the whole world and their whole future in front of them. Are they in the very early stages of something that might be unfolding? And if so, how can we meet them where they are to provide them with health literacy, the tools, the resources, so that perhaps we can help mitigate the unfolding of more symptoms and impairment later on. And then the people in the middle who are really kind of just trying to find their way on their own and are struggling enough to connect with care, but again, maybe they're not thriving. Maybe they're just getting through without a crisis. So we're really thinking on a larger perspective, not only how can our solutions meet individuals wherever they are on this continuum, but how can we also share that information so that they understand more about what this journey could look like and how they can utilize more of these solutions and tools to meet their needs in a way that works best for them. One of the things that I love hearing in that conversation is the focus on looking for what we can do in a given moment. And from personal experience, I can tell you that there have been crisis moments with my own children where it feels like, oh my gosh, what can I do? But really, it's just listening to what someone needs and then leaving that door open with options. So getting ahead, I would say, of or potentially preventing that crisis altogether with care earlier on um, is key. Kelly, what I can tell you is that we are all so unique in our journeys and I know that I've tried to get ahead of and tried to encourage therapy, et cetera, with uh, a few of my children and they have to be ready for it, you know, in their own time. 
Yeah. And I can understand how that might feel frustrating and also how that opens up different opportunities for a complexity of different kinds of solutions or interventions to come into play to support people. What I really appreciate about that conversation and is related to this next piece that we'll hear about is how we're also reframing what certain terms mean. So for example, um, in this next clip, we talk about one of the issues that's near and dear to my heart, which is maternal health, and specifically how that terminology of maternal health needs to broaden to incorporate women's health and think about prenatal care and all of these different factors that also are encompassed underneath this umbrella that maybe we're not breaking down in a way that's comprehensive enough for us to address. So I think that there are so many ways that different parts of our lives contribute to what makes us healthy and how we can think about those. And that just, again, is aligned in my mind to how we can then reframe those definitions and meet people where they are. So let's listen into this next conversation on maternal health. So yes, it's great to get to a woman at the labor and delivery unit. What if we got to her prenatally? Okay, it's great to get to her prenatally. What if we got to her before she was pregnant? And I think this question of weathering is really interesting because it starts to ask the question of what if we got to her when she was three years old? Um, what if we got to her grandmother? Even you know, I mean, there's these kinds of conversations that I think can reframe a lot of public health issues. Absolutely. So it feels like we're maybe defining maternal health too narrowly. Is there a problem with how we are thinking about maternal health and defining it? I think to Ryan's point and, and what we've both been talking about is, you know, we what maternal health is women's health. You know, women's health is maternal health. We need to be thinking about it from sort of this lifespan approach. You know, what are we doing to invest in women? Um, how are we contributing to education? To, you know, how are we dealing with food insecurity? I think like to Ryan's point, maternal health is too late. It really needs to be focused on women's health in general. Is there anything else that we need to be doing as an industry or a society to address this crisis? I'll maybe go back to this notion of, of power dynamics. And I think, um, you know, at the root of solutions for health inequities generally is listening to the folks who are experiencing these things. What are you doing in your community to make sure, in this case, that Black women are at the center of solutions for maternal and infant mortality? What are you doing to make sure that, um, and so what does it mean to be at the center of those solutions? Are they making the decisions around funding? Are they making the decisions around strategy? Is it a safe space where, um, you know, they can say the things that need to be said? I won't pretend like uh, everybody's got the, the, the solution and are just be waiting to, waiting to herd, but, but man, we're going to get a lot closer if we start listening to a diversity of voices. I, I totally agree, Ryan. I think, you know, oftentimes, particularly for myself, I know it's a podcast, so you can see, but I'm an Afro Boricua from the Bronx. And, you know, oftentimes, particularly in academia and working with my colleagues, I'm bought always in as an advisory capacity instead of what Ryan mentioned, being at the head of the table, equitably being engaged in these conversations. Because I know my community. I am a woman of color. I know my own experiences. I have worked in with these communities. And so trust me to also figure out those solutions. Trust me to be a part of those solutions. Trust me to be culturally responsive, to have accountability, to know about what communication strategies work. 
you know, I, I, and I think it, again, it takes rallying everyone to be involved. That part of the conversation is one of my favorite clips from the longer episode. And I know we didn't get a chance to talk about it in the episode, but there are a lot of really exciting technological advancements that are happening where we're better able to understand root cause analysis, different kinds of interventions that could be successful and support people throughout pregnancy, and then looking at longer term impacts. And of course, technology has been another theme that has been woven throughout almost all of our episodes from this season. So I'm really excited about the ways in which that's you know, showing up more and more in our lives and encompassing healthcare and how we can take advantage of using those insights to better our personalized care and the way that we think about health and well-being for ourselves. Yes, that is so true, Kelly, about technology. And, you know, in our conversation from episode one, which was titled Changing at the Speed of Trust with Christy Henderson from Optum, she had some really good insight on how The technology and the embracing of virtual health and telehealth has really come to play a big part in healthcare in general during the pandemic. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of where we take it from here and whether we can do a better job of coordinating different specialties, primary care, et cetera, because obviously that was a challenge with the bricks and mortar, as you're about to hear, but can it actually be something that is easier to do? with technology. Let's take a listen. I would say that there's not any place where we can't use technology to improve engagement, adoption, and improve health. And I think that's really important because so many people think of telehealth as a video visit for minor illnesses. And I would say that digital health tools help us from the very beginning when we're searching for care and trying to look for self-care treatment options, all the way over to where chronic disease management or even a specialty telehealth visit, there really is something across the entire spectrum where we can improve health. So when it comes to the virtual care visits, how do we coordinate different specialties or different providers to ensure that they too are talking, let's say they're not in the same EMR, they're within different health systems. How do you see that connection being made? Okay, so this is the real meat of the challenge with healthcare in general. So it's not different virtual as it is in person. That challenge exists today with brick and mortar, sharing information, making sure there's good continuity of care and handoffs between teams so that we aren't duplicating tests. That's hard. So virtual, There's a couple actually things that can be done and maybe a little bit easier than in the brick and mortar um, because we can connect over video from miles apart, uh, states apart, and share information. And we can bring people into the same virtual room that we couldn't because in a clinic because we're not in the same location. So I can have integrated care with behavioral health, medical specialty, all of those all in one room with a patient, their caregiver, and even a translator. So I'm super excited about where we can go, but I'll tell you, you know, we're going to go at the, uh, at the speed of trust. And that means trust with our patients, trust with our clinicians, and we've got to build that trust. And so we've got to get the tools in place that make it easy for our clinicians to see some, just as easy to see somebody in a virtual clinic versus a physical clinic. 
over and over again, we talked about the need to look at problems in the context of someone's individual life and the circumstances that surround that and make it unique to them to think about the whole person as it comes to their health and well-being. And of course, then to sort of zoom out and think about our broader healthcare system, which is really systems within systems that can be focused on giving everyone the same chance to be healthy, which of course is one of the ways in which we define health equity and making it more equitable. Yeah. And I think that based on a lot of the conversations we had this season in our podcast, I feel optimistic to hear about the changes that are happening and that have accelerated so quickly within the last few years, you know, but, and also about the things that are giving people hope about the progress that our guests have shared with us that they're seeing now and the speed of change that absolutely is going to benefit everyone um, and to make healthcare more equitable. Yeah, I completely agree. And being in this space for a while, it does feel like there was some sort of turning point over the last year because of the things that were happening in our environment around us. But I agree. I feel much more optimistic about some of the changes that hopefully can start to happen within the context of this space. What I frequently think about as well is, you know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And I realize mm-hmm. that that's a common sentiment, but especially when you think about healthcare and in some cases, black and brown people living 20 years less than their white counterparts, one zip code over, that just to me really presses into the urgency that exists around this problem and how quickly we do need to really focus and kind of work together. So I agree. I'm glad that these conversations are happening and it is so exciting to hear about the the actual changes that are happening in the space. Yes. And along those lines, one of our favorite, I will speak for you because I know that you feel the same yes. way, <laughs> um, conversations was with the chief medical officer of United Health Group, Dr. Margaret Mary Wilson. And she just, I mean, we could replay the entire episode right now. We had such an amazing conversation. She's from Nigeria. She is uh, black, um, lesbian, physician. I mean, just her life experiences that she shared with us and her vulnerability was so admirable. And um, I think she, she just had, you know, stories to share that were heartbreaking, yet she is someone who is driving change and is hopeful. And I think that as long as we maintain hope and we have change drivers and people who are looking out for others, I absolutely remain optimistic myself. So let's take a listen to that conversation, um, a few clips from Dr. Margaret Mary Wilson. We've talked about some of the disparities and your own personal experience. Why do you think some of these things exist within the medical setting? You know, one of the things that I will say, first of all, is I don't believe that any of this is intentional. I do believe, I come from the school of thought where I believe, and and I think the evidence supports this, that unconscious bias is a really powerful motivator I also think that the lack of information, right? I do believe that there are knowledge gaps around the whole concept of individuals being anything other than heterosexual. And then the third piece is really around unfamiliarity. People generally feel uncomfortable around people who are different, particularly when you've had no prior experience. And then when you bring it into the healthcare industry, for similar reasons, if you look at several curriculums, 
be they undergraduate in medical school, postgraduate as part of our training, there has not really been a robust effort to educate and train healthcare providers. Um, and you see that bleeding into the research space, where even the clinical research that would have helped to mitigate some of those misguided social perceptions about the LGBT community, even that research, I think, um, is not as robust as it could be. And I think what, you know, the other piece is it becomes even more challenging for LGBTQ individuals who stand at the intersectionality. So not just one minority status group, but a couple. So African-American gay men, for example. Um, I think that's, that's a challenge. And, you know, I, I think, you know, overall, when you, the, the other, the other piece that drives this, you know, these disparities are, you think of many members of this community, they're rejected by their peers, they're rejected by their family, they sort of recede into isolation. And there's almost a self-imposed reluctance to engage with any institutionalized systems. And healthcare is one of those. And then, like I think I mentioned earlier on, you know, the, the question of bias is not simply an individual um, issue, it's also institutionalized. So it's all these factors coming together. And that really does paint such a complex picture for us. So thank you for diving into all of those different facets. I'm wondering what you think are some of the solutions, some of the bright spots that you might be seeing that give you a lot of hope for this population. I think the first bright spot is the fact that we're actually having a conversation, right? And that has not been the case for a while. Certainly the issue has been spoken about and audiences have been spoken to, but we actually feel that this is now a societal conversation. This is an ongoing discourse in the public space. And not only that, it's a transparent and honest discussion that brings with it vulnerability and authenticity. And, you know, intentionally working towards mitigating disparities that impact minority status groups, be they LGBTQ or other status groups, and doing this in a way that can actually be objectively measured, driving towards specific outcomes. I just want to say thank you to all of our guests this season who have really helped us drive home and reinforce kind of the four themes that we discuss throughout all of our episodes. You know, the first one is around meeting people where they are. You've heard it over and over again. And, and really what that means is personalizing their care. The second one is around connecting every aspect of health for people. And then the third around improving data and leveraging technology to make healthcare smarter. And that fourth one is around ensuring equitable health care for all, which really encompasses the rest of them. And from my perspective, is the foundation to making the other three themes happen. Yeah, absolutely. And join us next time where we'll be talking with the one and only Maria Menunos, entertainment reporter, actress, fellow podcast host and health advocate will be talking with us about what it means to be healthy and sharing some of her personal experiences. So be sure to subscribe so you can get notified of when that episode comes out. Until then, thank you so much for listening. I'm Stacey Dove. And I'm Callie Chamberlain. And this is Until It's Fixed, a healthcare innovation podcast from Optum. 